This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 36, about Jessica Jones, episode 6, a.k.a. You're a Winner. Welcome back, Defenders, to episode 36 of Defenders TV Podcast. We're still covering Jessica Jones, season 1. This is episode 6, a.k.a. You're a Winner. I'm Derek, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris. And I'm John, one of your other hosts. Welcome, I'm not guys. a host, apparently. I, I, I should say that, but I actually am a host as well. <gasps> co-host? Medium host? Uh, co-hosts. Co-host. Mid-host. Mid-guard? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, Medium well done. Hosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just a bit of blood. Yeah. Well, welcome back, Chris. Thank you Good very to have much. You. Yeah, no, unfortunately, I was uh, watching Jessica Jones from a, uh, a remote location, yes. which had very bad Wi-Fi, so I wasn't able to film. <laughs> <laughs> But welcome back. Obviously, we missed you on episode 35 of the podcast about uh, episode five of Jessica Jones, uh, a.k.a. The Sandwich Saved Me, my favorite named episode so far. And in fact, Yeah. And in fact, my favorite episode uh, of the season so far. Do uh, you have any thoughts on episode five? Yeah, we've talked about this a lot. OK, the, how Netflix is a movie. It's a 13 hour movie. We were five hours in. I was expecting a bit more of a lull but I didn't get it and I was really happy with that so we got the origin story per se absolutely I was so happy with the jewel costume <laughs> that, was great, that just it? made me like yes <laughs> it's like I although we need a flashback with her wearing it at some point yeah just I, as a joke just as something it just I'm still I'm still not sure since she called jewel the stripper girl's name and said the costume would uh, would show off some bits of her body that you wouldn't want to put on show the camel toe <laughs> exactly yeah. I'm, I'm pretty doubtful Jessica's going to put that on at any stage slutty hooker yes might see uh, Trish wearing it at some stage though no Hellcat stop <laughs> so we talked about this many many times before um, the the sandwich actual saved me part mm-hmm. of the, the the entitled episode was brilliant that's um, hilarious and, and scary yeah, yeah but also I was expecting I can't remember the film. I've been racking my brain trying to think of a similar uh, film TV show where it was a hand on a bus mm-hmm. and he saves a, a gentleman saves a kid I'm thinking Superman or something it's a, an indented hand oh yeah I'm trying to think what that might be actually is that yeah. Superman it could be, yeah. Is it yeah. Superman 1, the Christopher Reeve Superman? I think. Could be. I can't yeah, remember. Listeners. Answers on a postcard. Um, <laughs> email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. No need to waste the stamp. Yeah. You, can, you can get us at that feedback. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, it was absolutely fantastic. I love the origin, the background, showing Jessica that she had some detective skills in the office when she was really bored. I want to build a rubber band ball that big someday in my life. <laughs> that was amazing. That, that looks like she had nothing to do in the office no. for weeks beforehand. <laughs> um, but it was great. It was good. And then the showing off. Um, obviously, I heard the word shred, 30 day shred, and I immediately <laughs> thought of my co-host. Um, and I was like, oh, he could be Jessica Jones. And John would love this. Yes. <laughs> day 10 of the 30 day shred. <laughs> I I, I'm, de- I'm destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked a lot about the 30 day shred. We were we were looking to see if Gillian Michaels might actually sponsor our show, I think, after last week, because we talked about it a lot. But anyway, listeners, I think we can uh, we can get on with this episode of the podcast. Yep. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, make sure you go to defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes to subscribe to us on iTunes, or you can get us on any other good podcast or any Android podcast catcher like Beyond Pod, Podcast Addicts, 
Uh, you can also get us in Stitcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast and you'll find us pop up in there. And as we record episodes and release them every Tuesday, you'll get all of our coverage for Jessica Jones. We'll start out this episode, as usual, with uh, John's synopsis for AKA You're a Winner. Uh, this episode was written by Edward Rycourt, who wrote the film Now You See Me. This episode is also directed by Stephen Sergic, uh, who directed episode five, as we just talked about. And he also directed episodes of Daredevil. So uh, good, a good member of the Marvel Netflix team there, and Stephen. Um, John, do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode? Sure. Luke Cage hires Jessica to help track down an acquaintance who has seemingly disappeared. As they both work together on the investigation, they reconnect and things start to get all sweet Christmassy. Elsewhere in New York, an easy poker win for Kilgrave leads to an intriguing property search in suburbia as he strikes a deal to buy a house for a very special renovation. However, just as Luke and Jessica's relationship begins to take shape, developments in the case throw up Luke's real motives to find the missing person, as Jessica fears he'll learn too much about his wife's death. As events unfold, a bit of truth is forced to the surface about their shared history. Cool, thanks for that, John. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, uh, the way we cover our episodes would be to take five points about the episode, talk through them, and hopefully cover off everything within the episode of Jessica Jones. Uh, Chris, since you weren't here last week, do you want to kick off with your first point? Um, sure, I'm going to go Easter eggy. As our listeners know, I love them. Um, the first one is the name Angela Del Toro. Oh, yes. It was so obviously put in there. Mm-hmm. It was so blatantly said that I had to do a bit of research. I was like, oh, that's someone, that's definitely. Um, so this is the character that um, when uh, Jessica reminds uh, Luke, when Luke comes in asking for PI help, he go, she goes... Um, Speak to, to Angela Del Toro. She's a really good detective, mm-hmm. et cetera, Definitely et cetera. jumped out to me, yeah. So uh, it's a bit of digging. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out Angela Del Toro is White Tiger in the universe. Very interesting. Um, now, she's not the only um, person to carry the moniker White Tiger. That's why it takes a bit of time when you kind of have to dig. She's one of the newer incarnations. Right. So it's page um, two of Google. Yes. <laughs> page two when you kind of get down there. Um, but um, the bit I, I loved is that this is actually a connection to Iron Fist. Oh, right. Very da, interesting. Yeah. I completely, <laughs> completely went over my yeah. head. I was like, really? <laughs> okay. Um, so the White Tiger gets an uh, basically, they get their enhanced speed, strength, tiger-like powers um, from a thing called the Jade Amulet, and the Jade Amulet comes from mm. the mystical kingdom of Kunlun. Kunlun, yeah. which we'll definitely see in the future Iron Fist series on Netflix, which is definitely coming, isn't it? This has definitely not been cancelled. There, there's way too many connections to Iron no, Fist. Yeah, way too many. Way too many. Like it's a great connection again, as I say, one that completely uh, flew past me, but right. uh, definitely like just great interweaving all these Iron Fist elements into these, uh, you know, obviously the more grounded aspects of, of this foursome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm starting to wonder, though, are they throwing these in as just kind of nice nods to us? Because, okay, then what we've got is uh, Trish possibly going to be a superhero, superhero mm-hmm. in heroine in the next, say, year, next season two maybe. We've got White Tiger, possibly already, and she's already PI, so she's probably operating. You've got Luke Cage already. You've got Jessica Jones already. We've probably got, we've got Rand. We haven't seen Rand Corporation no. logo or no. anything yet. Not yet. No. Not yet. So there's probably 
but he probably is there. So we're not going to get an origin story per se, probably. No. So it's probably going to be similar to Jesse Jones already in there, up and running. So we're starting to go. Remember the whole 99 Friends? Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think <laughs> that guy, they're literally going, okay, we're going to give you as many as possible, but let's not go overboard because yeah. I don't know. I just I thought it was a nice kind of nod, but I think that's it. I think it's a nod. Okay. All right. I, I, we may not see Angela. You're probably right. But uh, I do like the idea of setting up these characters that they could possibly use in the future Netflix shows. Uh, one of the interesting things I read recently uh, was that Melissa Rosenberg worked very closely in proximity to the people that did Daredevil, but had never seen Daredevil when she was when she was writing Jessica Jones. So, uh, so I think it's quite interesting that even though these series are on TV at the same time, they're not necessarily watching each other and picking up every single element of the show and bringing them over. They have the continuity guys at Marvel kind of look at that and go, "Okay, wh- what name will we choose to put into the episodes?" Um, which I thought was quite interesting. I'd love that job. Absolutely, continuity yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> we like, what do you do? Well, I literally sit around and use my encyclopedic knowledge of useless. <laughs> not obviously not useless, but you are oh, a cape. Yeah, okay. continuity. Yeah, guy. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't be continuity man. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, because yeah. you'd have that that kind of superhero stance, the very Superman esque with the kind of hands in the teacup sides. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, chest out. He was eating a cheese buzzy in that scene, not a ham buzzy. (laughs) I think you mean ham hoagie, John. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for that point, Chris. Really good one to start us out with. Uh, My first point is about the card game at the beginning. Um, This, once again, is showing uh, Kilgrave's way of using stuff that we'd probably all do if we had mind control. Um, And basically doing a pretty horrible heinous act to the people around the table not only does he get them to put in all of their money on a terrible bet um but yeah he wins it with uh with a two and a ten um so uh so worst hand of cards they all give up all of their money he wins so what 1.2 million uh dollars off these guys pretty rough looking guys um but yeah, I like how it's played out. I like that the the guys are feeling the influence and know that something bad is going on. They're not just standing back and letting him do what he wants to. They're realizing something is wrong here. I wouldn't want to give up six hundred grand on on cards, essentially that kind of stuff. Uh, and the scene ends out with uh, with probably his, I think, one of his worst moments so far, where he tells a guy to uh, tells Harvey to put his head through a post and see how long it'll it'll take to. to get him to, to kill himself essentially um another another great moment from Kilgrave and another really kind of creepy wave and use of his powers for me yeah definitely this was one of my points actually as well to an extent um just the whole opening like I actually really liked um just prior to that there was Malcolm with his voiceover and just that conversation that you know it wasn't all bad being controlled by Kilgrave he said there was an element of freedom. There was no fear, no logic. Like you just do as you're you're told by Kilgrave, and yeah. so there's nothing to worry about because you're just doing stuff and not having to think about it, which is scary in itself. But I love that. And then it comes to the casino game, where again it's showing his control, and I love that. Then I think you're right. You, you see the conflict in them in pushing that money across the table, which was pretty good, and then. But also then that whole uh, win by Kilgrave just sets up this whole creepy sort of subplot of Kilgrave going to suburbia, going to this detached house. And you're kind of going, well, what's going on here? Like, you know, he's used other people's apartments. We saw him with the family in, in what was it, the first or second episode? Um, episode two, yeah. Yeah, yep. you know, 
and then you, you know you see him wanting to buy this totally legit totally legally um and so on and it's really that's really intriguing and it's all set up by this win uh, this false win easy win for Kilgrave from the casino table yeah i thought it was a really good um scene and i loved how it kind of threads through the episodes yeah. that win and also just how it was set up by sort of the voiceover by Malcolm as well yeah and I love how Kilgrave essentially says to the guys you'll be dining out in this story for years how not only did I take all your money but I did it with a two and a seven is it a two and a ten I can't remember which one which one I, which one it was I should have written it down um but yeah you'll be dining out in the story for years kind of thing it's a really good uh good little setup from Kilgrave I'm gonna take a tax here Don't go on. I'm sorry I didn't enjoy it that much really I'm wondering, is this kind of going to come back to be more, we'll have a greater understanding later on in the episode series, where these are probably mobsters of mm-hmm. some kind. So that links us to possibly Daredevil. Right. Interesting. So we've, we've been wondering, I've been racking my brain, how Daredevil or Matt Murdock may come into this. Well, maybe these guys are Hell's Kitchen gangs, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I felt it was very forced. Um, it was humorous and it was great. And yes, the Kilgrave put your telling um, the the gentleman to put his head through the post or keep going until he broke the post. Um, it was kind of the usual sinister Kilgrave. I just thought, about, well, hold on, what? What was the the underlying current? He needed money. He could have just told them to give him the money. Mm. So it, it this felt slightly disconnected for me. Yes, a great scene, well written, uh, quite humorous, um, again, with the sinister angle at the end. It was just slightly. I felt. I feel like we're going to know more about it later on. Right. Okay. Yeah. In that kind of say episode eleven, right. this guy who has a busted up face comes in, and it's like and Daredevil's fighting him, and then he's actually fight, trying to fuck kill Kilgrave because he stole all his money. Right. Interesting. Something like that. I just. I just felt it was very too much of a. Also, wasn't this one of the this scene? Wasn't it a. Uh, there was a trailer that trailer. used it, yeah. There yeah. was there was a teaser that used it, but I think they only used the first element of it where he says, and now you want to go all in, and that's where it cut. Um, so I think the big the big reveal here, essentially, of the fact that Harvey, the character that he makes put his head through the post, uh, the big reveal of the fact that Harvey can be controlled and can be told to give the money, but will still realise, hey, there's still something wrong here. Okay. I think it's what probably made the difference to me in this scene. Um one other thing that I want to say about the scene, a lot of our uh, our friends in our Facebook group over at uh, Defenders TV podcast on Facebook, uh, a lot of them have commented on the fact that David Tennant uses his Doctor Who voice quite a lot in this show. If any time so far that this guy could have walked out of the TARDIS and sat down at a card table and started talking to these guys, it really felt like Doctor Who, just yeah. his turn of phrase, the way he was the way he was talking to them. So it was a really creepy thing for Doctor Who to start robbing money off these gangsters, essentially. Uh, for me, I just thought one of the other elements that I really liked about I the I think scene. he could be. He could be. It's the psychic paper theory. <laughs> this is the fan theory. Doctor Who is actually evil and he's in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I like that. Or theory. he's the master. Yeah, I like uh, for all we knew, actually the master, Doctor Who and Doctor who was the master? Uh, see, see, uh, but that's another podcast. Yes. Uh, John, do you want to kick us on to your next point? Yeah, no. My my next point is the another big thing from this episode, which is that Hope uh, was attacked in the in the previous episode, episode five, and mm. um, punched repeatedly in the stomach by um, I think it's Sissy Garcia, that's it. um, and she's pregnant, and it's all 
linking back to Kilgrave. And this is like a really powerful aspect being brought into Jessica Jones here, you know, um, she's been raped, I think, really, from what she's saying. Um, you know, it's all about consent, abuse, and choice of um, of women to uh, choose about whether have to have uh, an abortion or not. And she's there, essentially, paying Sissy Garcia to give her a you know off the street kind of abortion by repeatedly punching her in the stomach. Right. Now it doesn't work in this case. Um, but you know, Hope has this really great line um, to to Jessica Jones while she's in hospital, where she says, "You know, I want to live uh, and I want to have children, but I won't give life to this thing. I won't do it." Mm-hmm. It's the idea that if it kills her, she's fine with that because she does not want to give birth to this um, this baby, this fetus inside her that. Um, is there because she was raped by Kilgrave. So this is a really, like, this is a properly deep kind of element to this episode. And I thought it was uh, really well done. It obviously gave us an explanation as to why that was going on. You know, we kind of thought, well, has Kilgrave gotten to this sissy Garcia? Is it just a prison beating? And actually you find out that Hope paid sissy to do this um, from the money given to her by, by Jessica. And spun out of all of this then we have a really really intriguing um aspect of the story with jaron hogarth who asks for um the fetus Mm -hmm. the dead fetus after you know she's gone to hospital she's given the pill in order to have a miscarriage uh, and that then um jaron hogarth uh looks to have the dead fetus yeah no this was that was completely that was actually one of my points in terms of Jerry building or taking this, and I'm kind of now wondering. We're seeing the, the the complete downfall of Jerry, but is perhaps this Jerry, this versioning of Jerry, actually bad? Is she uh, an evil, a villain? <laughs> well, at the moment, at the moment, yes, she seems pretty heartless. Absolutely. Because I'm like, is she. We still have to get these other super soldier serums out there. Blah blah blah. Is she a lawyer in Hydra? And actually trying to get, now that they know Kilgrave is real and he can show people, I want that power, get me the fetus. I was like... Yeah, this was properly dark from her again. I mean, she's been heartless towards her ex. She's been manipulative. You know, she's just been so cold. Um, You're kind of thinking, you know, how far along this kind of dark path does she have to go before maybe, um, you know, she sees how bad she's become or, you know, what's it going to take for her to sort of step back from from that brink? Because at the moment, she's looking pretty evil. Yeah. And, I mean, this is kind of one of the interesting things about Jessica Jones is that, you know, you have these good people, like you see there's Reuben, there's Malcolm, you know, that maybe are troubled or, or slightly off kilter, but they're good people. But she has no qualms with associating herself with, quite frankly, dubious human beings. It's not that maybe she's evil or even Hydra, but she's just Product quite self-centered. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she, well, she's a lawyer. So apologies to any lawyers out there, but like, right. you know, maybe she's gotten to that point where she's able to win cases so often that she's able to use the law and be really successful that she does feel like a god in herself. Yeah, and possibly. That, 
she now is just so self-centered and so all-consuming with her personality, her job and all this. But she's properly cold. And I mean, yeah, asking the nurse then to retain this fetus, it's like, what is going on here? This is like a new kind of string to the bow that, you know, that I can't wait to see and find out what happens here. Um, I just want to actually put out serious props. And when we're tweeting this episode out later, we're going to tag in Melissa Rosenberg for this. This would have been a really easy piece to fluff over. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is like, she could have been mentioned in the background, could have been mentioned over a report, blah, blah, blah. We we all thought Jessica Jones, we had questions going in how dark this would be being based on alias and pulse and how much of the storylines were kind of, because this is not a used, your typical Spider-Man swinging through kind of being sassy. No. Um, sassy Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the amazingly sassy Spider-Man. That's brilliant. I, I'm copywriting uh, that. It has to be the spectacular sassy Spider-Man, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I really wanted to call out Melissa Rosenberg for this because this, obviously, even in the daily newspapers, I'm not talking about in this universe, I'm talking real life, this is a hardcore kind of topic. And it is. You've got the, you've got pro-lifers versus pro-choicers. You've got, uh, the, the rape element versus the consent element. Mm-hmm. You've got, um, the use of non, non-typical abortion techniques mm. as it's just a beating. Um, showing the element of hope going, I still want that. That was the line that got me. And yeah, I'm same I, here. Yeah. Definitely. I was like, Wow, you, I still want kids. I still want a family. I still want to get over this. I do not want this thing. I think she says thing. As yeah, well. she does, yeah. definitely. And yeah. that was like, I know. I was like, that's hardcore. You could have easily fluffed it over. And I'm pretty sure I haven't looked into it. I don't know. Is there topics around this at all? But I think it, if not, there should be. This is something that should be in TV shows. It is. Yeah. Bringing out the darker side. This is hugely significant that a superhero show is bringing in these topics. As you say, you know, uh, pro-life versus pro-choice, um, rape versus consent, um, d- d- you know, physical violence versus sort of the, the mental legacy of that physical violence and that physical, that mental violence ultimately. Yeah. And um, all of those things and all being tied around essentially a superhero show and it, it it's it's massive props um that they are doing this i think um i mean i think we even mentioned this with regards to agent carter were it's showing you know a woman hero in a time when women weren't treated um as equally within the society within 1940s and were considered to be housewives or secretaries or or typists or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. You know, I think Marvel are doing really well with this stuff and I think it's absolutely great to see and a lot better than some other shows. And I think it it really does um, open up these these characters and in particular, you know, what's the point in having street-level heroes like Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist and, and the Defenders um, that aren't subject to these tragic events that happen on the street? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, irrespective of all the other 
more fantastical elements of the it. The incidents. You know, like her being able to jump and fly and her super strength and the unbreakable skin and, and the daredevil, you know, ability to see without without sight. Like, all these kind of things. Um, like, it's, it's really great. And I, I must say, and that's something I pulled um, from, from this episode. Yeah. I'll put a question out, though, and I, I, I don't actually have an answer for this. If there was a male showrunner, would this have been there? Would this have had the emphasis, the 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 the, the spotlight it had, yeah. in, in in such that the spotlight it had was it was it was played very well, it was written very well, it was directed very well. I don't know. Well, the interesting part about it is this is one of the first episodes of the show so far that is written by a male writer. Um, Melissa Rosenberg is the overall showrunner for the show, but it is Edward Reichert that wrote this episode. So, um, so he's taken the concept. He's obviously, they, I know they have a writer's room again for Jessica Jones, just like they did for Daredevil, where there are six or seven writers that take on the stories and break the episode up. So this potentially came from a different writer. I don't necessarily think you have to be a woman to write this story. Hey, we're three guys and we can understand the story. Definitely. It's not, it's not like it's totally foreign to us, but I think you're right. Having a female showrunner that is willing to concentrate on the thing that we that we may not as blokes uh, generally concentrate on if you want to tell the story you may just skip past it completely there's a really good moment here with hope as well where uh, she essentially is told by jessica you could see the doctor in here um it, it's only going to be a couple of months and she says i can't wait two months because uh this thing is inside me right now how for them every 20 minutes it feels like i'm being raped again every 20 minutes it feels like yeah. my parents are being shot again that's what this feeling of being raped and, and having being pregnant with the person who had control over me is like that's a huge moment and it's given the it's given the breath of discussion that is required for it it's not just oh yeah she wants to have an abortion there's no there is a consideration there within her and it is talking about very big topics as you said john yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think on that point that you, you mentioned there, Chris, I think like we, we've had it recently there with Quentin Tarantino and that slight controversy about whether he can write about, um, sort of black characters and, and, and racial or racist elements, um, within the, I think it's the hateful eight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even with Django, you know, it, whether he as a white director, a white writer can write about slavery or, um, you know, African American issues and so on. And I think ultimately, um, it's that yes, people can. Like a writer does research things as well. They should do if they, mm -hmm. if they want to get an accuracy to, to their, their, their writings. And um, sometimes it's not to say that, you know, you can have a more personal element coming at it and um, possibly, um, if you are a woman or if you are African American or, or, or so on, or if you're a man. But again, I think you reverse that question and say, you know, you see what, um, Steve McQueen brought He's a black British director. He did 12 Years a Slave, but he's not an African-American. So he's not got that context, which maybe you have to be African-American to talk about the African-American slavery issue. Uh, but at the same time, he also did um, a, a great film with Michael Fassbender called Hunger, all about sort of the hunger strikes yeah. in the, the Northern Ireland um prisons during the troubles during the 70s you know he's not from belfast he's not irish but he was he's not white he was able to to write and direct about that in a really forceful and meaningful way and i think you have to allow that 
to be a possibility you can't say that all these things have to be exclusive to the people okay. who've experienced them otherwise you get no new perspective uh, whether right or wrong so that that's i i would say that's my long version <laughs> of, uh that's my long answer to your question but it's that yes i think they can no and i think sorry i, I probably i slightly came across wrong i think that they probably would have done this but my props go out to Rosenberg in that she probably highlighted this, whereas potentially another showrunner or would have possibly kind of fluffed over or skimmed over it a bit mm-hmm. more. This was given a bit more prominence. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Would I have kind of given it the area? I don't know. She challenged us. So I'm not saying uh, be a male versus female. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying potentially because she is female potentially she has given this uh this arc the small story a bit more time in the spotlight than potentially a different showrunner would have given melissa gave us this amazingly emotional very tough element again our tough point in the the, every episode so far Mm -hmm. but would stephen denite would he have given it the same time in the spotlight if he was directing Jessica Jones mm-hmm. and that's just what a different director is it a directorial thing is it a a, a male uh, versus female thing I, I, I don't have the answers and I'm not seeking to put a question down I'm just very glad mm-hmm. that they, they did this I totally agree and, and again and I know your point is definitely not there's any criticism of Stephen tonight because he was a great showrunner for, Dare, for Daredevil you're right though it is very possible that this show is is dramatically different because we have someone like Melissa Rosenberg at the at the forefront of the show that there's different decisions that she would make um, she's the right person for the show I yeah. will say um, the things that we're getting so far by episode 6 of this show are far more than I thought we would get explored in a Marvel TV show uh, I love that there is this kind of as you said a focus on this part of the show I think I think um, Hope's experience and what she's gone through when after being saved by the superhero usually you go off and spend your time back at home with your family and have a happy life what's happened to her since episode one is she shot her parents in the head and now she's in prison getting getting herself beaten up so that she doesn't have to carry the child of the guy who raped her that's a completely different story than i would expect to be on any other marvel show um and really well handled and really well put together definitely um chris do you want to take us on with your next point okay it's a it's a segue a, a Jones way, if you will. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I got that one in there. I like that Christopher Jones gets to use Jones ways. Um, Jones ways. Yeah. Jones ways. Yeah, I like it. Um, so, on speaking of this baby, mm-hmm. um, so again, a slightly Easter egg-ish Ooh. type point. So, in the Marvel Universe, Kilgrave has a daughter. Oh, right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that was not a... that According, apparently, it is... And now I just want to make sure I get the name 100% right... Is it um, Hope Kilgrave? No, it's Kara Kilgrave. Nice. Um, and she inherited his powers and his skin tone, and she joins the the Canadian Avengers, the Alpha Flight. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, but so then, she, and she got his looks. And yeah, no, the, the purple skin tone. I'm wondering, like, how does she pair? Yeah, how, yeah. Yeah, how does she pair, pair that with? The kind of outfits choice, I don't know. Um, additionally, um, there there was this other storyline that came up in, um, I believe it was one of the later issues of Daredevil, where Kilgrave is um, hunted by his brood of illegitimate children. 
Wow. So very Children of the Damned styled, mm-hmm. um, where they're all purple-toned, skin-toned children going after and trying to kill Kilgrave. Wow. And I was just like, oh, do you think that we may get a, a legitimate Kilgrave child mentioned later on? Possibly, yeah. It's interesting because I, I didn't actually even come back to your point about about Hogarth taking the, the fetus. Mm. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with that. We don't know. Is there is there a possibility... Oh, it's a, I don't even want to know how I'd consider that, but this, is there a possibility of reviving that or cloning the fetus, possibly to get a new child of Kilgrave? Maybe that's what Hogarth's trying to do. Um, but that's a really interesting catch there, Chris. Well done. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Hogarth is quite clear to the nurse that she says, can you retain the dead fetus? Mm, so it is definitely that, you know, there is a miscarriage here and, yeah. and uh, it's a termination, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. So, um, like, it, it will just be interesting to see what's happening there because, I mean, yeah, Hogarth we, is, like, proper dark, uh, Darth vader at this stage. Mm-hmm. If we don't get an answer to that one, that's going to annoy me. Yeah, I, I de- very, definitely. very much, because it was so blatantly kind of said. It's like, but now, in season two, you find out. I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, no. That's I, true. I want by episode 12... To have known everything and go, oh, that, why, that, and that, that, that. Yeah. All right. And she does bribe the nurse as well. Yeah. She's not just asking her. Yeah. She's definitely bribing the nurse for this. Well, for this. I don't so that you can ask a nurse, oh, sorry, you know that like, that, that, that dead fetus there? I just yeah. want to <laughs> serve it up some fava beans. I, I, su- I suppose. Uh, <laughs> geez, that's, that's dark. That is very dark. Come on. Uh, we, have, we have a cannibal esque, <laughs> dinner esque podcaster here. I thought you'd enjoy it. <laughs> that is true. I um, did. That's why I'm laughing. I think I meant more of the fact that. She's bribing the nurse is highlighting the fact that this is something illegal. It's not that she's taking it home to bury it. It's that she's taking it for a nefarious purpose. I think that's the that's what I mean more that she's she's bribing her because of that purpose. Yeah. That's all. But uh, yeah, interesting. Definitely. So, Derek, what's your third point? Uh, my third point is just that Jessica's still taking photographs for Kilgrave. I thought that was quite interesting. She didn't just lie to him and say. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Just leave my, my friend Malcolm alone. She's now got a timer set. She's got her alarm going off, telling her exactly what time she has to take the photograph for Kilgrave every single day. Um, this proves to me again that Jessica is absolutely terrified of Kilgrave and what he could possibly do to her friends uh, if she doesn't live up to what she's promised to Kilgrave. He's still getting his own way. He's still mind controlling her, for want of a better word, um, without actually using his powers. Um, so... Again, a nice little touch in that in their relationship. I thought. And to note, there's some nice photos. Nice she photos, takes on the run. She's taking some pretty good photos. This is like twist the hair, flick, you know, just like goodbye <laughs> shadow. But still, no smile. Right? No, 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 no smile. She also forgets to take uh, a picture because she's been having sweet Christmassy nothings uh, in in the bedroom with Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kilgrave is not too impressed as well. Yeah, and you, you wonder if she does like repeatedly keep missing them will he go back after malcolm yeah perhaps yeah yeah absolutely um that's the same where he's in the coffee shop where he gets the uh where he gets the text in from her essentially and has just silenced everybody in the coffee shop from talking too loudly which i just think again how, how does he get through his days he just just determines everything that goes along, along around him there's a great moment in the comics which i don't ever talk about on here because i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but there's a, <laughs> but there's a great <laughs> moment <about> <laughs> I know, there's a great bo- moment in uh, in the alias comic where Kilgrave's walking down the street and just realizes, um, you know, I'm a bit bored now. Everybody around me kill each other. And it's just a mass brawl as everybody slaughters each other 
around him and Jessica walking side by side down the street. These are the kind of powers that Kilgrave's starting to use in these episodes. It's not just a one-on-one telling somebody, just throw a cup of coffee in your face now. He's starting to silence an entire room of people just to keep his head clear, you know? Uh, I'd be fascinated if they use that in one of the episodes in the future. I'd be looking forward to that one. But there you go. That's my little comic insight for this one. Uh, John, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is actually just Jessica and Luke kind of back together again. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved... I love the dynamic of it that, you know, he's coming back, you know, and he's prepared to pay her to and to hire her for an investigation to, to, you know, track down Antoine, Mm -hmm. who's missing, presumably taken by this loan shark that he owes money to. But I love just all the build up and a that, you know, they get it back together again, which is which is fantastic. Absolutely. Um, But I love just that slow uh, increase in tension during all of these scenes and um, you know firstly just after they've had sex where you know she, you can see she's umming and ahhing about whether to tell him that's how I kind of looked at it yeah. and then obviously um, the the round at the the lady's house where she gives the information um, about the 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 bus crash and, and the bus driver who was um driving that bus that night on that fateful night. And, and you can see that she's almost wanting to tell him all the way through this episode that, you know, she has to in order to really move their relationship on so that she can be fully open. Mm. And then ultimately it's with the big build and reveal at the end where she has no other choice but to tell him, otherwise he's going to kill an innocent man. And I mean... You know, uh, Mike Coulter, I really, until this um, series, I've not seen him in anything. I don't know yeah. him from anything. Um, I absolutely loved his reaction. I mean, the hurt, the pain. Like, I love some of the dialogue that he, he gave. It, you know, it's exceptional. Like, he says, you know, you let me inside you. You know, you... um allowed your hands those same hands that killed my wife to to touch me like uh you know he punches the the front of the bus i think um like the the hurt the pain the anger the kind of bitterness that's creeping in as he's delivering these lines is is really good and like like i think he finally says he says you know you are a piece of shit or something like to that effect and about jessica i mean and it's just that whole ambiguity of like this central character of jessica jones you know that she will hang around with any, anyone. She she is a heavy drinker. She's got issues. She's got problems. She doesn't always make the right decisions. And like this is one case where, unfortunately, it's just way too much for him to handle here. And it's really, really good. Um, I, I, I just really liked um, how this all built up to the big reveal at the end. Absolutely. Like there's some really good tender moments between the two of them earlier on in the episode. And I was, I was kind of going, great. We've got our, we've got our couple back. They're not going to break up this time, are they? Um, they've got, we've got them back together. She uh, has that moment in the corridor where she calls herself a piece of shit to begin with. And he says, you're a hard drinking, short fused mess of a woman, but you're not a piece of shit. And I was like, oh, that's lovely. Luke's actually on her side. He gets this. He gets why she's so critical of herself. Um, but no, it turns around right at the end and he uses that back at her in, in the end of the episode. But there is an, another lovely moment as well where she takes a lift home on the motorbike with him. There's just a nice lingering shot from, I'm sure the director of the episode chose the shot uh, as Jessica's hands don't 
release from uh, from Luke's uh, Luke's body. She holds there for a little bit longer than she probably should have, kind of giving him the indication that she's still willing to give the relationship a try, but doesn't want to because obviously this is a huge reveal to Luke that she's the one that killed his wife, regardless of the control that Kilgrave had over her at the time. She's refused to tell Luke about it. She's been following him. She knew all about who he was before they met, before they slept together for the first time, and she still went through with it all without telling him. Um, when she's not under Kilgrave's control, so understandably, Luke Cage has lost it with uh, with Jessica in this episode. Yeah, uh, it was a tough. It was a roller coaster. That's the best way I could put it. Absolutely, it was. It was pure roller coaster of emotion in terms of you. You want them to be together. They're happy. Then they're not happy. Then they. She's struggling to say anything. She's not struggling to say anything. She buries it deep inside. And that post quite a scene where they're kind of lovely embraced with each other. It was great. Uh, the ending, yeah, I, they've made this very tough. I do not see and fully understand how Jessica could come back from this. Mm-hmm. She killed the woman he loved. Yeah. They, and then lied about it. And slapped. Like, I honestly, like that's the bit I was like, did they go too far? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like you you imagine it to be hugely difficult yeah. for Luke Cage to kind of let that one go uh, and for for them to really be able to then come back together and move on. I mean, the only thing I think really that I hold out in regard to that is the fact that also through this episode, he does, you know, he wants to help her get Kilgrave ultimately, you know, and um, he understands that he was controlling her. So maybe that's his route to forgiveness with her, is that actually she's not in control. Maybe, Um, but it felt like it wasn't enough. Um, No, it wasn't. Not then, immediately, but maybe with time to think that that could be the seed of where his forgiveness could come from. But I do know what you mean. And what was in the box again? A flash drive with with possibly some information that Kilgrave wanted. Um, We don't know what that information was by the end of the episode. It was some there's something that was in the box that uh, that Reva. Um, so could Reva have been bad then without knowing it? So we know, okay, yeah. yeah okay, because I, I, I'm just, I am struggling to see how they end up the happy married couple of the Marvel MCU and with a baby. Yeah. Don't know. Just don't know yet. I know. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, and I think, yeah, I think it feels like they have pushed uh, pushed the two of them very specifically apart here. There's there's nothing I can see that Jessica could do to get back. Uh, but what we did see, and that was my next point, uh, what we did see was actually the fight between Jessica and uh, and Luke. So uh, Luke's not holding back um, because he wants to get to the bus driver who he thinks has killed his wife. Uh, Jessica's not holding back because she wants to stop him. And this does actually prove our question from the first time they, they fought. Uh, Luke is actually stronger than Jessica. Uh, he pushes her back a good couple of inches on her oh, yeah. heels. Uh, so it does prove that, that Luke is, is stronger. Only by a little bit, though, I think. Um, yeah, it's a close. It's a close call on the strength front. Yeah, like a um, unless he's got unbreakable nuts, a, a short jab from Jessica uh, to the midriff could have disabled him, possibly. <laughs> and at the end of the fight, Luke does ask the question of her: if, if it wasn't uh, for this driver, if it wasn't for her finding out about the driver or him finding out about the driver, would would Jessica have ever told him the truth at all? So again, uh, echoing the the concept from you guys that uh, has Jessica gone too far and told them something that she can never redeem herself from? She was right to tell him. Was she right to have left it so long? Was she right to have stalked him, slept with him? 
num- numerous times and still not told him about uh, her killing his wife or not. But uh, yeah. but yeah, the fight was at least a, at least a little bit of a change in in the episode there. So Chris, what's your uh, next point? Just actually on the um, the Jessica Luke job, mm-hmm. it was just it felt very from having read some of the heroes for hire kind of stories it felt or luke cage kind of power man it felt very like i'm going to help my neighborhood yeah kind of like just that that was really what it was it was sweet christmas i'm going to help my neighborhood and i'm going to get it done and i was just like oh it, it, they could have done somewhat it was just like a kid the the the, the actual child or man young child man Thing that they were trying <laughs> Antoine? to Antoine. Yeah. That's him. They were trying to the say human. Yeah, the, the human. The human man. <laughs> the human mad child thing. It just seemed very it, it wasn't the best. Okay. It, it was fun. Great piece of information. Luke Cage doesn't hurt dogs. That's right, yeah. He does not hurt dogs. Because uh, what same grown man hurts dogs? Absolutely. Or animals or any kind in general. Uh-huh. Um so no, I was very I was very happy with it. Great fight scene. But the actual just kind of like, yeah, he went into hiding so he could grow weed mm-hmm. to make money and come back a businessman. I was like, ah. I liked it. I liked it probably for the reason you didn't, actually, Chris. It, it does feel really like a Luke Cage episode where uh, Jessica is coming into one of his type of investigations, something slightly different from her PI investigations. He does need her to help him track down this kid. But yeah, it does feel like he's trying to save a kid from the neighborhood, uh, from the the local neighborhood thugs, essentially. Um, that's what it felt like. And actually, I was getting kind of shades of uh, the character that takes over as Paraman um, in some of the uh, some of the Fallout from the Shadowlands uh, series. There's another character that takes over from uh, from Luke Cage as Paraman. Uh, I was getting some kind of shades of that from the Antoine character. Um, he seems quite similar to the the guy that takes over from uh, from Luke, so um, that's what it felt like. It felt like a like there was some kind of connection there that Antoine might actually change everything that he does because of being saved by Luke and Jessica from this. Yeah, no, it wasn't that. It was just the the story in terms of it was yeah, it's a heroes for hire Luke Cage story. He saves the neighborhood. It was that just that stupid Antoine. It was like I know he I went off. Him. Yeah, he was just <laughs> like it was just like ah, oh, I actually wanted him to be in peril, yeah. not hiding out and. Growing weed. Oh, that's why I was I like, it's good fun to not uh, to not have someone in peril for once because but it's peril like peril is always better. Uh, yeah. I can't. I mean, for <laughs> me, it was just it. That particular part of the story just didn't need to be too big. It just needed to be there because otherwise, there's so much other stuff going on, like the the deeper elements between Luke and Jessica, or what was going on with Hope. That I think anything massive or too. Um, maybe just too serious or in depth. It could have just been too much for the episode. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of, um, I think it was probably designed to just not be that a massive thing. And yeah. um, I think the, the, the biggest twist about it is ultimately that Luke doesn't know these people at all, even though that's the premise that he comes to Jessica uh, with that it's a friend in in need and and needs and help, you know, requires help. So yeah, I mean that that was it for me. I mean I did like the fact that you know we have Sweet Christmas again when he sees all the the, the <laughs> weed, um, which was really, <laughs> really cool. Um, so basically sex and drugs 
uh, illicit sweet Christmas yeah. uh, for, for Luke Cage. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, just need rock and roll next. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he'll come out with a sweet Christmas. Um, Maybe yeah. that will be the favorite band in his local, yeah, exactly. local bar is called Sweet Christmas. <laughs> no, 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 that is the band that Luke Cage <laughs> sets uh, up. Daniel Rand sets up. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe. That's actually what the Defenders are. They're actually a local band uh, with a song called Sweet Christmas. Maybe. Christmas number one. Um, but yeah, I love that. And actually, just coming back, the bike was very cool. The shades, the, the, the helmet, the bike, all of that was proper, like, sex on two wheels. Uh-huh. It was really good. No, I don't think you can have sex on two wheels. I'm just, I, I'm not saying like I tried try. it, but you could try. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure, like the balance elements. But it yeah. was great, though. Like that to me, that look is kind of that's America for me. Right. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I did like the touch. I know you mentioned the dogs, Chris, but I did like the touch that essentially uh, Luke calls out the fact that he's perfect for dogs who attack because of the unbreakable skin. The teeth can't break through the yeah. skin, so he's perfectly happy with taking on some dogs. That was really a good little touch. Uh, John, what's your final point? Yeah, my final point is it's just a little bit, actually, um, again, where Luke and Jessica go to Antoine's uh, apartment to, to to look through his stuff, and Luke Cage is looking through all his paperwork, you know, all this kind of stuff, and I just love the fact that Jessica Jones goes straight to the bathroom and goes, well, he's taken his toothbrush and toothpaste. If he was kidnapped, they're not too hot on, on like, packing him a, a toiletry bag. Right. Um, so, yeah, he, he's he's up to the left. And I, I love the fact that she was kind of straight down to this logic and just, you know, Luke's up there sort of going through all the paperwork, mm-hmm. like, racking his brains, and she kind of cuts through it all with a simple... He's taken his toothbrush and toothpaste. Yeah. He's left. He's not been kidnapped. Uh, I thought that was uh, really good. And then... Clearly Luke had been there for hours as well. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then just I the whole... Yeah. Then just the whole gag with the You're a Winner. Oh, uh, yes. The, the of title of the episode. Um, I just love how Kristen Risser just goes into that kind of real uh, heady kind of uh, stereotype for... for delivering the lines and of course you know she gets the call back and it moves the case forward again it's just just shows her nous and uh her sort of knowledge of doing pi work i thought it was really good absolutely absolutely yeah i love i love christian ritter in this in, in doing these parts showing other characters what she can do with her voice as a woman basically people don't seem to believe when she puts on this air airhead voice they seem to believe anything that comes out of her mouth uh, it's almost like another superpower that she has i love the look on luke's face as she starts to talk like that which is just a it's just this look of almost kind of disdain oh, this can't be her this is not jessica yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really good. But I would have called for an Xbox One. I would have called back. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 And you guys are PlayStation guys. I know. I know. Free, I'll take a free Xbox One, though. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, uh, what's your final point? Uh, my final point is about Malcolm starting to get his shit together, really. Um, so it looks like, you know, he's definitely off the drugs now. Uh, he's working with Jessica in this episode. He's actually helping her out, uh, trying to use his experiences with Kilgrave to help her uh, track him down at the beginning of the episode. Um, but he's also going to the support group, um, which we saw in a couple of episodes ago, episode four, I believe it was, 
where we had the support group of all the uh, the people that had been influenced by Kilgrave. Uh, and it seems like Malcolm's getting the help he needs from this group. So he's the one that does the voiceover at the start that you mentioned, uh, John. And he also has the, the voiceover at the end. Uh, and he recommends it to Jessica, saying that it's been hugely helpful for him to go through. Um, to have somebody there to talk to about his experiences, essentially. Uh, really important for him. Obviously, Jessica's response is, uh, I don't want to share share this with anybody else because their stories are going to be worse than mine, <laughs> which I which I thought was a really a nice little uh, bit of her character. Um, you know, a lot of people go to AA, and a lot of the reason why they go to Alcoholics Anonymous or or drug drug addicts Anonymous is because other people telling you their stories that are worse than yours helps you deal with your experiences. That's not Jessica. She doesn't want to deal with her experience. She wants to use it in that powerful way to get back a Kilgrave. Um, so she's not willing to give up on that pain that she's gone through, almost. Uh, she just thought it was a nice little touch of the episode. That's my final point. Uh, anybody have any notes about the episode that we've missed? Anything we haven't covered? It was only just to say, like, yeah, I love Malcolm's sort of increasing involvement in this. And just to, to come back, like, you know, he, he also is trying to protect Jessica with Luke returning back on the scene. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, don't, don't break her heart kind of thing, you know, look after her and so on. But one of the things that he does impart onto Luke is this idea and notion that Kilgrave, um, you know, controlled and, and used and abused Jessica Jones. That, you know, and Luke generally seems to agree with, with Malcolm on this, that she wasn't ultimately fully in control of her actions mm-hmm. whilst with Kilgrave. And I'm wondering... Hopefully, that might be the little nugget that allows Luke and Jessica to reconcile, obviously, those massive differences that they have uh, at the end of this episode. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. So with that, Chris, do you defend episode six of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. you're a winner? Okay. We've got rape. We have abortion. We have incredibly hot-button topics. We have fun kind of fights we have adorable dogs we have luke cage we have jessica we have a breakup we have a break in we have a breakout we have a lot of different uh, elements here so overall i felt yes this is great tv it's what i wanted when i signed up for the show mm-hmm. so yes i defend this episode excellent excellent john do you defend this episode of jessica jones i do i do defend uh, this episode of jessica jones AKA you're a winner. Um, I would definitely uh, give this 4.5 winning poker hands out of, of five. Um, I just thought the big topics that were addressed in this were, were huge in terms of the abuse and, and the rape and, and abortion aspects and done in a really um, sort of meaningful way and a sensitive way, I thought, really just exposed those. And for this genre to be doing that, um, in the same way that Agent Carter, I think, um, brought uh, to mind equality for, for women, I thought it was really, really good. I, I liked that important aspect to, to parts of this episode, which I think um, were really important. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I loved the build-up, the awkwardness that you could see slowly developing with Jessica as she knows that really she has to, A, tell Luke Cage about what she did, but also she's conflicted uh, trying to actually prevent him from finding out as well. So those, those two aspects, really good. I mean, we also then see Hogarth on, again, this sort of 
downward trajectory of just pure awfulness um, that she seems to be quite happy to partake in in terms of um, you know just being cold uh, and, and kind of a bit it's like bloodless almost and, you know she's kind of like this cold vampire uh, she comes across as uh, so that was really good and it was also I think nice to see Malcolm starting to get better and recover and to really um, you know get to know Jessica and probably remember it as well. So this to me was, again, it was up there with episode five. I have to say, really good episode. Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Absolutely, and really for all the reasons you've said, just for me, obviously the Jessica and Luke elements of this episode are huge. I really enjoyed watching through their relationship get back together because it, it seemed like there would be no redemption for them when they broke up in episode three. Um, I thought they'd never get back together after that. There was enough from Jessica kind of going, all right, I've killed his wife, so I'm not going to be able to to continue this relationship. I'll just break it off with him. Uh, to see them come back here and and you can see they're meant for each other. Um, you can see them working at it throughout the episode. I thought those little touches like her on the back of the bike, like him telling her you're not a piece of shit kind of stuff. Those are all elements that really show that they're meant for each other and that he knows the right things to say to Jessica and that he does genuinely love her. Um, but having it towards the end of the episode where essentially now... I can't see how they're ever going to get back together again. To have gone through that full journey with the two characters throughout the episode means it's one of the best written ones we've seen so far. As a journey for those two great characters that I'm really enjoying so far, I think it's done really, really well. And I know, obviously, the the hope moment was shocking to me. I, I've written down in my notes going, whoa, okay, she's pregnant with Kilgrave's child. How's this one going to play out? Didn't expect it would end off being an abortion storyline. I thought there was actually going to be she'll carry the child full term. It's going to have the powers of Kilgrave. Thought there was going to be something in there uh, in there about that. But no, to have the abortion conversation surrounding that uh, as well was another fantastic part of this episode. Yeah, absolutely defend it 100%. Excellent episode. Okay, I think it's time to go on to our feedback for this week. Our first piece of feedback comes in from Dave Horrocks. Uh, he says, Hi guys, so I happened to catch an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they went into a bit of the gifted or enhanced subject. And so turns out they use both terms. I probably wouldn't have noticed it so much if you guys hadn't had the debate about using the different terms. I'll try to get this right. It seems there's this list which S.H.I.E.L.D. keeps calling the Index. And this has all the gifted people on it. Agent Simmons suggests that they need to differentiate between people who are subjected to scientific experiments and changed in some way, and therefore they're enhanced, and those who have these powers naturally, they're gifted. Uh, not sure if Jessica and Luke are familiar with the difference, so I think referring to them as gifts or gifted is probably understandable and consistent for the MCU. Keep up the great work, guys. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, Dave, for that. Yeah, no, that makes sense, actually. Um, certainly like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. logic coming in there. But um, yeah, that would make sense. Gifted for people born with it, um, but then enhanced for those people that have had it kind of imparted onto them by an accident or or an experiment. But um, yeah, this debate is raging, Chris. What have you done? I what know, have you but... unleashed? No, but I just literally... <laughs> The Daredevils and the Jessica Jones, that doesn't make them enhanced or gifted. See, think about it. Oh, because if they, were su- <laughs> no, if they were subjected to scientific experiments or changed some way, kind of based on those experiments, then they're enhanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have a, a barrel full of uh, chemicals spill over your face or you're in a car crash as an accident you are not enhanced or you're not gifted you're somewhere in between we need a third one people you're unlucky (laughs) (laughs) or not maybe depending on how good the the, uh, 
the, the superhero traces. Yeah. yeah. But thanks for that one, Dave. Uh, at least you tried to get a Thank to, you, Dave. to get this into a into a proper MCUing of uh, of those terms. Thanks very much for that. Uh, Cheers, this, Dave. This will continue, I think, for a uh, for a future episode. We have our second piece of feedback in from another David, David Wang. Uh, he sent us his feedback about episode three and four of uh, of Jessica. So to begin with, on episode three, he starts with, uh, I guess Luke's little de- demonstration brings new meaning to the term ads that can cut wood. <laughs> like that. Uh, Secondly, he says, as to how Luke is supposed to cut his hair, maybe his hair has perpetually stopped growing and it'll always be bald with that goatee. Maybe that's yeah. it. Yeah, we did we did discuss that because of the unbreakable skin. Can the hair grow through the unbreakable skin? So, uh, but yeah, possibly. Ooh, that's, the baby's that's... bottom. <laughs> Sweet Christmas. Uh, seriously, gifted sounds like such a stupid expression for superpowers. Everybody's getting in on this. Yeah, one, guys. well done. <laughs> Uh, finally, the modesty sheet trope is getting really old. Wince for obvious reasons that women can't be show topless. Uh, then why that the sheets cover the dude as well? So this is uh, this is Jessica's modesty sheet, um, the L-shaped sheet that seems to go to uh, go to Luke's Luke's waist and uh, up to Jessica's neck. David, I definitely agree with that because actually one of the weird things that got me with this episode episode six was again they were in bed and she had a t-shirt on, but she had just woken up. Um, no, okay, yeah, you can wear a t-shirt and maybe it's better than a sheet. But I, again, I just automatically assumed, oh, that's just to not show a topless, mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, but at the moment, I'm kind of quite liking the split between what's uh, topless and what's not. I'm going to weigh in on this, okay? And we probably won't get to see very much of uh, Jessica's uh, less than modest modesty sheet. So perhaps just a deep V. How does that sound, Marvel? Maybe, maybe. Um, I did hear Christian uh, Ritter describe the show as actually being somewhere between a PG-13 and a PG-16, depending on how on how advanced the person is who's watching it is. This show is still in the Marvel Universe. I'm very doubtful we're going to see any any nudity in the show. I all. want R-rated! <laughs> it's not going to be R-rated, uh, but I do think some of the some of the uh, concepts that are in there are definitely much more adult than stuff that we've seen before. So I think they're more talking about the content can be can be as adult-rated as possible, but we're probably not going to see... Uh, the level of uh, of that sexuality or that uh, that nudity being on the show. So finally, for episode three, uh, David says, um, I guess the case with Officer Simpson shows that the controlled parties will stop once they thought their orders are carried out, be it killing someone or jumping off a roof. Might come in handy later. Interesting idea, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, thanks for that, David. Uh, on to episode four. So again, David gives some feedback about episode four. Uh, it says, I'm betting that the support group would be a case similar to the Orient Express murder. Everyone's story is a bit off to Paro, and then it turns out that everybody was in on the scheme, uh, where no one's story is really made up, and the discordances are explained by Kilgrave's extra orders to keep people from ever properly identifying him. That's a quite an interesting concept. This is the uh, this is all the stories that were that were being told. Uh, some members went on to the Kilgrave support group. Some members were turned away because they weren't uh, their stories didn't seem really like Kilgrave. Uh, interesting idea that actually every one of the stories was correct. Isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That that would be a really nice twist for that group, actually. Absolutely. They were kind of like the you know the the cuckoos um, within the nest. Mm, interesting. Um, he then goes on to say uh, the guy who made who was made give away his expensive suit really made an impression on me. He of course gave out the the caveat that giving away material property can't really be compared to killing one's parents, but it was still something that he would never have done in his right mind, and that's what's really important. And of course, he was the person who most certainly met Kilgrave. I think I made that point as well that that was the uh, the guy who gave away his his really expensive jacket. 
he he's just so frustrated about the fact that someone was able to to get him to do that and um, that that shows the mind control really does have an effect and no matter regardless of what it is you know it might be someone telling you i want your shoes but the fact that you would take them off your feet and give them to somebody else and not be in control of yourself does feel really creepy doesn't it and david says seriously netflix should be giving out strobe light warnings for, to those episodes like nbc <laughs> did for hannibal um, yeah there's definitely a lot of strobes in this show um, he says trish is so sloppy she really sh- should have made simpson open the box in front of the camera uh, to show that there isn't a bomb inside. Very, very good point. She was still quite trusting of uh, of Officer Simpson telling him to leave the box outside the door and then bringing it inside the house to her. Yeah, uh, which turned out it's the it's the gun for her protection. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, she could have uh, could have easily allowed him to just open it up uh, on camera, couldn't she? So finally, Dave says uh, Jessica's freakout was so spectacular. I'll bet Matt heard the whole thing from just two blocks away. I wonder what he would have said about that. So uh, yeah, Murdoch pretty much Matt Murdoch would pretty much be hearing everything that's going on with Jessica. I'm surprised he hasn't heard uh, just Kilgrave's voice shouting out Jessica and wondering to himself, who's this Jessica? Being <laughs> I'm hearing for? a lot about this girl. <laughs> heard a lot about you. Nice to meet you, Jessica Jones. <laughs> well, thanks very much for that, Dave. Keep sending the feedback in. It's uh, feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We love hearing from you and your thoughts on the episodes as you as you go on. Or you can follow us over on, over on Twitter at DefendersCast and discuss the episodes with us as we go. We tend not to spoil things over there, obviously, because people are watching the show at a different pace. Um, but importantly, if you want to talk to other fans of the show, some of our regular listeners and some of the people that contribute regularly to the show are on our group on Facebook. Uh, all you need to do, do is search for Defenders TV Podcast. We have a page over there, which is where our news and episodes are published. But you can also join the group, and in there is where we all get together and discuss some some interesting stuff across the Marvel the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe and Marvel TV Universe. So come and join us on there. It's been lots of fun. We'll be back next week with Episode 7 of Jessica Jones. Thank you so much for listening this week. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Cheers, guys. Really appreciate all the feedback, as always. Sweet Christmas. Bye. I'm off to get a whiskey. <laughs> Great stuff, guys. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickeringmyth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.